uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson. He had a massive uh, T-Rex skull in his <laughs> house. It's like, what is this? So he probably it, bought yes. the biggest T-Rex skull from the most famous museum. I wonder if it was a prop from... Maybe a movie set? Jumanji 2, <laughs> you know? This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Interviews and insight from This Week in Cougar Sports. Every Saturday, only on BYU Radio. To lead off, here's the double coverage interview of the week. Two BYU basketball legends, Danny Ainge and Greg Kite, are joining us here. Great to have both of you with us. Thanks for being here. It's great to be here. Thanks. I'd like to start with uh, a very special picture. Oh, we're going here first. Studio B. Here we go. I feel like this is uh, the appropriate way to start this interview because it features... Some dapper gentlemen. Look at this. The boys at BYU, Danny and Greg, you're both <laughs> in this. sold out like hotcakes. <laughs> what I want to know is how did Greg's hair get by standards? Yeah, like, that was, that that's pretty that good. Was, that's pretty good. Next year, probably, yeah. it, was a, it was a kind of a perm mullet, which was uh, interesting. You know, I talked to Alan Knight, was a good friend who went to BYU who did that. And I talked to him the other day. I said, you know, you ever seen those old pictures of the old Microsoft guys when they're hippies? Paul Allen, Bill Gates, I said, we had to recreate that while we're still around. <laughs> it looks good. Our, our only cons- Although, can Danny, can you get up? Well, I could get up. If Pull I'm off still, that suit still, yeah. Danny? I don't think that suit still fits. <laughs> that's right. I do have to ask about the red ties. Who chose the red? Oh, that, that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. That's exactly right, Greg. That's a mistake. Yeah, we, we didn't realize that. So, but it's still sold. Maybe Ute fans bought it, too. It's, it's sold out. For that reason. Now, be honest, Greg. Do you have this picture in your house anywhere? I We have it rolled up somewhere, and okay. the kids love it, and they all want to... They all want a copy. So. Danny, I'm that's hoping awesome. this is framed in your new home. I ne- haven't seen that picture for 40 years. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And I can't remember who gave that to us, but they donated it to the set. So it, it sits on there, which yeah, is super I cool. I actually did a handout at one of the games of like $5,000. That's, that's awesome. So obviously this weekend is, uh, you know, the, the Portland game honoring the 1981 team, which we consider to be the greatest team in BYU history. It's hard to argue with the Elite Eight. Do you guys feel like you were the best team ever at BYU still to this day? Been lots of great teams here, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'll vote for number one. And we feel like we we really, uh, you know, sh- should have gone to the Final Four and, and been there. But it, it was a lot of fun. But it's it's just great to be part of the BYU basketball legacy. I follow it. These uh, I'm in the East Coast in Florida, and these 11 p.m. games are killing me. But I still have to watch them anyway. <laughs> It'll get a little bit better in the Big 12 of Central right, Time, we yeah, think. Right. But yeah, I'm not, I mean, 81, 81 was a great team, but I'm not sure 1980 wasn't better when we true, had true. the same group mm. of guys, and we had Durant and Scott Runya on that team, Alan and, and Alan Taylor, right? So that was, I think, 80. We might have actually been better, but the 80, the loss of uh, the 80 NCAA championship game, I think, really motivated us in 81. So you needed 80 to become 81? No, nah, I don't know about that, but we were good in 80, too. That might have been the most stacked team mm-hmm. we had. Talent, you're saying? Yeah, that roster? Clemson up at uh, Weber State yeah. in yeah. the first round. After having a lot of, having lead. a big lead, yeah. yeah. But they had some talented guys, Larry Nance and some others that were great team, too. Yeah, well, Fred Roberts has said as much about that 1980 team, loaded with talent. Uh, who's the unsung hero on the 1981 team, who's the guy on the roster that you feel like deserves more credit for what that team did? And we'll start with you, Danny. Um, you know, I think Timo was a really good player off the bench for us. I think, obviously, Greg Balif, you know, I get all the credit for hitting the shot to win the game against Notre Dame, but Greg hit a huge shot top of the key. He was probably our best outside shooter 
at that time. Uh, Steve Craig also, like one of the great athletes uh, of that time. I think that, um, you know, the thing that stands out to me about that team was our rebounding. I mean, Greg and, and Trumbo and Fred were, you know, maybe the most dynamic yeah, rebounding tandem in, in college basketball at that time. Gary Furness coming off the bench, he could get some rebounds. And so we were, we didn't drop off a lot when we had a sub in on the front line. I think, I'd say Steve Craig's probably the unsung guy. He was mm. a terrific athlete and, you know, probably doesn't get as much due as he deserves. He's going to give you a call and thank you for that. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> and people forget, like, the whack was loaded that year. Like, yeah. you guys took third and, and were a sixth seed. It wasn't yeah. like you were this number one seed, you know what I mean? Utah, Wyoming, and us were all in the top yep. 20. San Diego State had uh, San Diego, yeah. Michael Cage and the young Tony Gwynn playing yeah. basketball. People yeah. forget. Uh, what was it like to battle with those three uh, that season? It was incredible. I remember, uh, particularly, I mean, the games with Utah were always, you know, everybody knows what that's like. But I remember going to that Wyoming, the old rodeo arena they used to play in, and it's uh, <laughs> 10 a.m. and I think it's a noon game, and all their students are out there already lined up and and, and not sober and swearing at us. And, and, and we had so usual uh, Dan Lambert. And we had a game. You remember that they threw like I think there were like three times they stopped a fast break by throwing a. Uh, an ice full of a, a tumbler, glass out on the floor, and nothing happened. <laughs> they they, get, a, they, they get a warning from they the referee. They had thrown worse in the 60s. Oh, yeah, Yes, yeah. they had. But yeah, the Wyoming fans so were incredible. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. They, everybody hated BYU in that era, but um, it was, you know, that, that conference, um, you know, I had Greg and I had a chance to play with Charles Bradley with the Celtics, first round pick out of the right. Celtics. Um, I had a chance to be teammates with uh, Tom Chambers, both later in our career. And by the way, shout out to Tom Chambers. He'll get his number oh, yeah. retired in Utah on February 5th. I don't know what took him so long. Guy's yeah. like a four <laughs> or five time all-star in the NBA, but terrific, terrific player and a good teammate. And um, But yeah, those were stacked. Danny Vrains and Pace Mannion and Charles Bradley and Bill Garnett. Yeah, Was that his Bill name? Garnett. Bill Garnett. Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson. Yeah, those uh, guys Chris, were. Chris Engler. They had, four, they had about four or five pros on that team. And yeah. They used to, you know, we, and Charles, trying to guard Charles Bradley. They had, Wyoming used these signs to color plays, and they, when they gave Charles the ball, they just said all night, you know. They were like a but, modern football team. Yeah. Throwing but winning up. anywhere on the road. I mean, huh. UTEP was tough. New Mexico was down with some uh, recruiting violations, but they gave us some tough games. Uh, Colorado State, it was not, you know, it wasn't, uh, wasn't an easy league by any means. Yeah, I like to shine the spotlight on the fact that this team, this BYU team in 81, played and beat a lot of great teams. And while we're talking about Utah, I believe it was your senior night, 23,108 fans, which is still a Marriott Center crowd. You're down double digits early. You come back and win that game. And so as great and as amazing as that Notre Dame win was, like I kind of wish that I were able to be at that Utah game because people talk about that like that. It's just packed to the gills. What do you remember about that Utah-BYU game in the Marriott Center? Well, first of all, Utah was a great team. And, uh, you know, like with Brains and Chambers, you know, the top two of the top seven picks in the draft the following yeah. year. Um, Frank Brankowski, uh, Brankowski, is that his name? He was a good player for them. Craig yeah. Hammer, I remember, like gave us fits. Pace Mannion. Danny Brains. They, yeah, they were stacked. And uh, They were number nine, and you were number 18. Yeah, so they were, it was a really good team. It was a really good win for us. Um, you know, they had some unfortunate, good, bad fortune in the uh, NCAA tournament as well that year. Uh, much better team than, than it turned out, but that's the NCAA tournament. It's just sometimes the luck of the draw, and um, sometimes you're just not playing at your best, but 
Wyoming was stacked. Um, yeah, San Diego State, like you mentioned, UTEP, our conference was loaded. I think in those two years, there was probably, uh, I don't know. But e even in, that, in, the cha in, the, in the playoffs that year, we played um, Princeton first. And Princeton, like I've spent most of my um, executive career competing against Steve Mills, who was the star player of that team, of <laughs> mm. uh, Princeton, 1981. Mm. And then uh, uh, Michelle Obama's brother, Craig Robinson, was a coach at Oregon State. I tried mm -hmm. to hire him. He was a Princeton team. He was the second leading scorer. We played. Uh, he ran that offense, that Pete Carroll offense. It was yeah. not easy to defend. And then, and then we played UCLA, and they had seven NBA players on that team. And, they were the two seed, including Mark Eaton, who you know has has his. He didn't play a lot in that team, but he's had a, had a number retired in, in Salt Lake. Um, you know, right on down the line, our paths have crossed with so many of those guys and, and, and so many legendary teams. But Notre Dame also, they had five first-round picks on that team that we beat. And that was when there was only 23 teams. So five of the top 20, you know, three or 25 players in, in the college ranks. And just about everybody, all those NBA picks and college all-stars, they were staying two, three, four years. I mean, you know, Danny, Ralph Sampson's played four years, the guys at Notre Dame. So they had not only that, it wasn't the one and done era, and they had a lot of experience collectively. So when you go into that, uh, you, you know, you finish the regular season, it looks like with that win over Utah, huge win. You, you get a six seed, you play Princeton, and then UCLA, Notre Dame, Virginia, of course. The UCLA win almost gets forgotten in the shadow of the amazing Notre Dame win, but beating UCLA by 23 is not something to, you know, uh, shirk. Uh, Greg, what was that like to beat UCLA in that fashion to get to uh, a situation where he had the Notre Dame uh, That was a lot of fun, and, and I think I scored 10 points, which was amazing in itself. So I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to get the ball that many times. I got a few rebounds. He missed a couple. But, um, no, it was great. And, yeah, they were loaded. I mean, they had this uh, this freshman class that was kind of uh, highly touted with uh, Michael Holton and Darren Day and a couple other guys, Kenny. Kenny Fields. I don't remember if Kiki was still there. But no, I mean, Kiki wasn't. He, he was left yeah. the year before. And Larry Brown was their coach. Been a great coach. And, and but uh, they had Mike Saunders and Darren Day. Yeah, who, Mike. Yeah, were, you yeah. know, Darren Day was our teammate at, at at Boston also. Yeah, yeah. And so they were, they were an excellent team, and they had that that UCLA history was still there. You know, Coach Arnold did, who'd come from uh, you know John Wooden's uh, camp at UCLA. So playing them was very special, and and uh, you know just what a, it was a. Fabulous win. I, and the UCLA game was a special game for me because, you know, I always wanted to go to UCLA as a kid. I grew up in Eugene, and the Pac-8 was everything. And um, I remember I got a, I got a, a letter from UCLA after just after Coach Wooden had left, and it was basically, we're not sure you're quick enough to play for UCLA at that time. Huh. So my first college game of my career in '77 was UCLA in Poly Pavilion, number one rank, Kiki Vandeway, and. David Greenwood, and you know it was a, it was a stack team, number one team, and we almost beat them. We had three freshmen starting, and we lost on a. Alan Taylor actually tipped it in the basket oh. for UCLA um, to win the game by one, and then then almost my last game of my college career was this UCLA game against Larry Brown. Four years later, those were the only two times we played them, but mm. I, you know UCLA was just a special. For us growing up, I mean, it was the John Wooden UCLA. That's what we grew up watching. So that was a huge game for us. Yeah, I'd, I'd taken one of my recruiting visits there and, and uh, watched these guys lose to San Francisco in the opening round the day before. And it was interesting. Gary Cunningham was a coach. He had not been uh, let go right before they hired Larry Brown. And 
he was very close with Frank Arnold, and they were on the staff, and we were sitting there watching the game with him, and, and, and Gary was just cringing for, you know, he was sad. But it, one thing about that UCLA game I remember was that uh, we were doubtful that Danny was going to play on Friday. You know, we went on Thursday. I think his back was hurting him, and so what in the a, 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 a little little faith and uh, a little faith and some good works from the the trainers that got him got him ready, and he went out there and had his usual great game. Do you, isn't that right? I yeah. So it was of... actually the Princeton game. I went to the gym without my gear, and we were staying in a hotel next door, and I couldn't move. I was in bed for like 18 hours, or 20 hours. I couldn't. I didn't even move. So. We go to the Princeton game on Thursday, and um, but I'm at the game and I'm watching Georgetown play the game before ours, and the adrenaline's pumping a little bit. So I send a ball boy over to get my gear out of my hotel room next door, and he comes back. And I'm still not sure, and I go take you know one more muscle relaxer <laughs> before the, <laughs> and I go and I go give it a shot I have back plaster and you know massage ointment and heat all over my body and I played in that game and then the next day I couldn't walk again so the UCLA Ooh. game was the next day and um, I felt much better than I did in the Princeton game but yeah I had I had one of my better college games against UCLA that day I was gonna say wow. it's a good thing you played because that was unforgettable uh, you've mentioned coach Arnold a couple of times a lot of BYU fans don't know much about him, at least the younger generation. So what do you remember about what it was like to play for Coach Arnold? And we'll start with you, Greg. I, I love him to death, and he was a great teacher, a great person. I think most importantly of all, he really cared about us as young men and about the mission of the church and the university. And, and, uh, and uh, we did uh, you know, do a great job in representing those two things besides being a great basketball team. And it was really... Uh, it was really awesome uh, that, I mean, he had come right from those championships. He'd been part of the 88 game winning streak at UCLA. So, you know, he, a lot of things that we did with, uh, I'm sure were replicated after what they did in UCLA. And I just remember running like wind sprints in high school and, you know, here in pra we'd go to a practice here at BYU and practice two or three hours. And, and we were running, but we never ran a wind sprint. It was just a lot of up and down. And anyway, great, great coach, great teacher, uh, you know, very focused guy. And, uh, we loved him, but there's some, some a lot of fun stories about Coach Arnold too, as well. Yeah, Frank was Frank was great. He was a great recruiter. Um, yeah. You know, when he comes into your home, you know, he had he recruited Bill Walton and Marcus Johnson at UCLA and some some special players in that in that era. And so, and he also had recruited my older brother uh, to UCLA when he was in high school. So I knew Frank, or I had a, you know, he probably didn't remember me, but when he came to my home, I had remembered him when he had come to visit my brother at UCLA. So, but yeah, his, his pedigree was impressive. Mm -hmm. And um, he's a great man. Um, I, hate to see, I hated to see Coach Arnold leave BYU because of you know, what he, the impact that he had. He continuously told us that you, know, you didn't play if you're getting below a C in a class. We had grade checks and we had to like, be getting academic standards. Um, you didn't play if you, you, know, did any, you know, broke any of the rules. Um, it was all about representing BYU. He felt like the basketball program could be the second best missionary um, tool in the, for the church, and that, and he was adamant that we lived our lives the right way, and um, that we had integrity and carried ourselves in the right way to represent the university. All right. And I think one thing to note about the recruiting, you know, after the Stan Watts era, BYU hit a little lull when the teams were kind of mediocre, and and he came in, Danny, and then the next class, Devin Durant, and. And uh, uh, Fred and Robert, Steve Trumbo, 
myself and plenty of other guys. So they really, really, he really, really turned it around and hasn't uh, gone backwards since then. You know, all through Liddell Anderson, Roger Reed, Dave Rose, and now Mark Pope, who's uh, doing a phenomenal job. So it's, yeah, Frank uh, got Frank got you know five, four or five McDonald's All-Americans there in like three straight yeah. years, and that was a lot. Like that, that didn't happen at BYU. We're gonna need that in the Big 12 here pretty yeah, soon. <laughs> That'd be nice, right? Um, Greg, was was Danny paying for everything at this point in the 80s since he was with the Blue Jays and had a little extra cash? No, um, Coach, Coach Harry Anderson was. On the road, we would always go. Guys would order milkshakes and stuff to room service, and they'd charge them Coach Anderson's room. So. <laughs> so I, I was funding Trumbo in the poker games on the road. <laughs> yeah, and our, our only income was we would, I think Trumbo led this, we'd always guess who which bags were going to come out first on the bag carousel at the airport, and everybody put in a buck, so the winner got That's it. That's funny. Oh, love that. <laughs> you you I, still had some. You know what, Honor Code Standards Office didn't yeah, know about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, no, you weren't with Jim, but, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we, should tell him, we should tell him, you know, about how much Coach Arnold, you know, cared about us doing the standards. I got a little ticked at Coach Arnold one time, and on a flight, you want to, like the Senka story? Oh, I want you to tell it. You know, that's, that's a great story. So we're, we're flying to Hawaii, or, or, or I think San Diego to Hawaii, and so it's a long flight. And for whatever reason, Coach Arnold had been, you know, John at me, and I was a little ticked off or whatever, which I was pretty easy going, not usually that way. So uh, I ordered a cup of Senka from the flight attendant. You know, it's kind of the, not coffee, but a coffee Decaf substitute. coffee. And, and it's sitting there, and it's sitting there, just, and I just let it sit there for a while. I think I inhaled, inhaled, but I didn't. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was Greg's rebellious. <laughs> that's good. You know, that's quite the quite the move. And, and Danny's rebellious was testing the uh, the the, um, the theory. Coach Arnold come from uh, I think the trainer and things at UCLA, where you had a real regimented pregame uh, ritual where you couldn't you didn't want you to eat a lot of dairy products or milk or extra sour cream and. And before the game, don't strain your eyes by watching TV. So we'd go over to the Cannon Center and you'd have a pregame meal. I think Danny skipped it one day and went and got a cheeseburger and a shake and stuff like that. <laughs> at the malt shop. At the malt shop. Yeah, and then came yeah. in and watched uh, MASH for an hour or something and, and uh, went out and scored 36 <laughs> points. So. Well, my, my he, he would have had 45 if he'd held it. Yeah, to the, clearly. My rebellious streak was more with the psycho cybernetics. Oh yeah. We had to, we had beds in our in, oh, yeah, in the Marion yeah. Center. We had we're supposed to go take naps and listen to these tapes of this positive thing, you know, psycho cybernetics tapes. Wow. And I mean, I think I lasted about 15 minutes one day, and then it, and then Frank got mad at me because I was out jumping on the Cosmo trampoline. <laughs> <laughs> Supposed to be taking doing a nap. Doing dunks, Couldn't probably. resist. Doing dunks off the trampoline. <laughs> Couldn't resist. Oh, my God. You have a great appreciation for the Cosmo dunk yeah. team there. Yeah. yeah. That was one of our favorite interviews this week. You're listening to the best of BYU Sports Nation. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. It is time to get to our BYU basketball resume update, which has BYU in the net rankings at number 26. Pretty good. Which is almost exactly where BYU is in the top 25 rankings, two spots out. Who cares about top 25? BYU in the Ken Palm metrics, 21. Mm. That's up six spots from 27. Good offense, good defense, except for Thursday night. Bracket Matrix now has BYU at that eight seed. Uh, that doesn't change much, but look at team rankings. Yep. With the win at San Francisco, BYU's chances of making the NCAA tournament 
go up 17 percentage points. Wild. Okay, so Ken Palm says uh, projected 23 and 7 record. You're like, hey, there's a game missing. Yeah, it's the Portland game. Which, by the way, why isn't that rescheduled? I don't understand. Maybe BYU doesn't okay. want to reschedule yeah, that game. Yeah, don't reschedule it. This does you nothing. Okay, 11-4 and four projection in the league, which means 8-3 and three is projected down the stretch in the final 11. Three losses, three losses. Let's come up with what they are. Obviously, at Gonzaga, at St. Mary's. And then Ken Palm just, Clara, maybe? just goes by percentage. It actually has, uh, you know, only two losses listed, but Santa Clara is the least likely... Uh, other game there for BYU to win, a three-point game, 62%, so probably Santa Clara. Now, do we expect BYU to drop three games the rest of the way? Just because of what BYU has pulled off recently? Feels like no. Yes. So is two a fair number? Like, BYU, it's expected to lose to Gonzaga and one other one, whether that we, – we're not saying which one that is, just another one. Yeah, that'd be at San. That'd probably be at St. Mary's at Santa Clara. One of those two, right? Even if BYU lost three more games, they're still firmly in the NCAA tournament. Twenty-three and seven, you're in, you're, and you're single-digit seed at that point because the conference is better. So, like, yes. if you and have a you, road loss against Santa Clara or St. Mary's, the yeah. committee's gonna be like, yeah, whatever. And you tested yourself in non-con. Just because BYU doesn't have a quad one win doesn't mean it's six and BYU six and three sure. in quad two. By the way, oh UVU. Still quad Maybe two. Oregon becomes a quad one win, Jeremy. It might. Oregon is it might. just outside the top 50 well, now. let me tell you the other win that's getting way better than San we Diego thought. San Diego State? San Diego State. 45 in net today. That's good. It's or- made with real bits of Panthers, so you know it's good. Is Oregon, I, th- I think, are they 53 in the net rankings today? 60. Oh, they're 60, so they dropped a little bit. Yes. Okay. <laughs> why why they why they drop if they played UCLA and USC? That's weird. Okay, uh... That that is firmly a quad two, great. That's awesome. They, they, and you could argue that's you know San Francisco is the best win, but second best win feels like Oregon, right? Given what Oregon did last week, um, in terms of like prestige, non non metrical prestige is the Oregon. This win. is what Oregon does so often. They yeah. just kind of like bumble through the non conference, and then they get better as they go through conference and win big games. That's a state in general as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. One yes, one and one in quad one, six and three in quad two, and then six and oh in quad three and four. What you hope is that UVU stays one thirty five, top one thirty five. They're one twenty seven. And that's not now. a quad okay. three. Yeah. They're one oh seven. Oh. So okay. so the hope is they don't slide down to quad three. I think they're good enough to stay in the top one thirty five, which is great. Yeah, BYU's looking good. It is it is curious because if it's like hundred percent metric space. That BYU is one in, has one quad one win at this point, and is firmly in the tourney in an eight seed. So it's not it's not about quad one games per se. It's like quad one and two. That's something we're learning a little bit this year. The perception from Lenardi. Now we're going heavy on Lenardi, but Lenardi's the number one guy for a reason. Okay, There's, he's the number one guy. And I want to go back to what I was saying about BYU's better than its record. BYU's sorry, record its is record better is better than the team. You think? I, I think I think that BYU has won probably two games because it has two sixth-year seniors, and it has a team that buys into the concept, best locker room in America, and and the the defense has been America uh, awesome. It's, it's been incredible, and some of those elements, like like the intangibles, if you will, have created this where BYU probably should be a thirteen and sixteen. 
but they're a 15 and 14. But don't you feel like they've lost and a I couple of games that they should have won? Utah Valley, eh. Vanderbilt. You lose you lose some games. Like like it's okay. BYU's 15 and 4. I think they're I think no, I feel no. Football did this same thing where they did a couple of things that like if they played 100 games of this schedule that we're seeing like the higher end of the potential of that team. Some of that has to do with coaching. And again, some of that has to do with six-year seniors are refusing to let certain things happen in certain games. You're going to lose some games. You can't, you can't say to me, yes, you have to win these games, but you never accidentally lose any. Like, the regression to the mean is, is interesting to me on this. It's like, well, well, you can't say, yes, you win that St. Mary's game every time, but you never lose to Vanderbilt or whatever. Like, yeah, sometimes you lose a close game. It happens. Yeah, I just feel like you say two, maybe one, because I think that BYU, I mean, the Utah Valley game and the Vanderbilt game, those were games that BYU's favored to win, projected to win, should have won, I think. And well, Let's talk wins on the same spectrum, though. Like San Diego State, BYU makes some great plays, plays some great defense and wins that game. You know what I mean? But should BYU have lost that game? Like they weren't, they were favored to win that game. If they play a hundred times, they lose that game sometimes. You know what I mean? So they like lose it, it sometimes, but that, not the majority. But that's what I'm saying. Is, and they were favored. No, no, I feel like you're missing the point. That sometimes, so oh, we can't say well, BYU should have won a couple. They lost. Well, then they should have lost some. They won too. Like that. That so, exists. To my point, that's what I'm saying. Like it's evened out. They lost two that they should have won, and they won two that they should have lost. This is your point with football. It's like, well, look, like it, losses are going to happen. The losses happened against Vanderbilt and. I think more probably could have easily happened. But this team's figured out ways to win. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. BYU women's basketball senior point guard Maria Albiero. We could not be more thrilled to have her. A Brasileira! Yes! Maria, welcome to the studio. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Awesome. I don't know that we've ever had a Brazilian in studio. Have we? Are you our first Brazilian, maybe? You would probably know that, right? In like right? eight or nine years? Uh, this is a, Didn't uh, you guys have his... the volleyball guy, guy, Felipe? We had Felipe. Okay, Brazilian woman. How about that? Oh, I like You're that. You're the first. <laughs> there you go. Over here. Felipe de Brito Ferreira. <laughs> yeah, I had to say his name natively when I called not everyone you do that, you know? So are you okay if people are like, Maria Albiero, as opposed to Maria Albiero? I mean, yeah, I'm okay. Most people can't say it, so <laughs> you, just got, you just got to smile. <laughs> like if we have a Korean athlete, you're going you're gonna to have to say it you know, as, as you would in Korean, right? Well, so the last name comes first in Korean, so you have to go kind of with the English understanding. Like a pitcher for the Dodgers, yeah. Chan Ho Park. In Korean, he would be... Pak Chan Ho. So you just can't do it. You have to go. Yeah. With the well, I mean the pronunciation, not like the order per se. I'm talking like how <laughs> sure, you say it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing my best, Maria. I, I love it. I'm, okay. your best I'm is content. Good. Buddy, your yeah. best is good enough. There you go. Yeah, very there good. you go. Yes. Uh, so you've been here with us a while. It's about time we had you in studio. It's <laughs> been a minute. Five years. In yeah. Time. What are yeah. you guys doing? Okay. <laughs> Five years. <laughs> what took so long? Yet here we are in the midst of a very special season for BYU women's basketball. You're ranked number 17. I mean, this team has done all sorts of firsts under Jeff Judkins and in program history. So what's the best part about this team and what makes this team unique and special? That's a good question. 
best part about it, I just say these people are my family. To me, like selfishly, obviously basketball is what we're here for, but I love these people. I love going to practice. I genuinely do. It's a highlight of my day. I have fun. We work on our stuff. And I think why we're so special is because truly everyone is on the same page. Everybody has embraced their role and they thrive with it. And everybody wants to win every single day. It makes it easy. How do you get to that point? Because every business, every young men, young women's group in the church, every uh, you know, team is seeking that. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you get to that point? Like, what did it take? Um, I think some of it is experience. I've been here for five years, and when I was a freshman, I'd like to tell you that I was just like this, but I wasn't. It takes some time. I think it helps that we have four people like that on our team. I'm going to say probably more than that, obviously. Like the uh, we super seniors? The seniors, and then obviously Shay, Lauren, Kaylee. Um, these girls have been around, too, and have done a lot. Um, I think experience, I think that helps a lot. Just the day-to-day grind. It's easy to look ahead and be like, hey, we're really good. But when you have people that are willing to look on a day-to-day and do the little stuff, it makes it different. It, it causes that. So. And a certain amount of sort of sacrifice. Because you have to buy into this team concept. The men's team says, we have the best locker room in America. But every year when there's a turnover of about half the roster, it's hard to actually execute that, right? So yeah. do you guys ever have a chat about like, hey, you need to buy into the team. There's certain things you need to give up yeah. in order for this to succeed as the yeah. greater whole. Is that a conversation you have? Yeah, I don't know if it's like an open conversation like that, like that we sit down and talk about it. But it's everybody knows. Like mm. it's in the air. Like we know. It's in the air. That's I a like saying that. in Portuguese. Yeah. <laughs> People don't say that yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just, and I think our coaches do a good job. I think, especially for me, like my role has changed a little bit every single year. And I didn't love it initially. Like I came here as a freshman, like every other freshman, thinking I was going to be Shaylee, but I'm not. And like, mm-hmm. and that, that's, just, that's just not how, what it is. So once you learn to embrace it and be happy about it, it's contagious. Everybody mm. does it. So I think our coaches do a good job. And I think we try our best to buy into it and show every day that we're okay with it. Because then you feel that you're valid and important. Mm. So there's definitely like an unspoken, everybody knows. It's in the air. Yeah, it's use in the air. One. I yeah. like that. Yeah, you two talk about in the air, and now I'm just thinking about the Phil Collins song. That's playing over, <laughs> oh, and over my head. It's like, one of in my, the air tonight. A, that is, I, th- there's a cover that played on Cobra Kai season three at the very end that I play like every week. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> Maria Albiero is with us nice. on BYU Sports Nation, the senior point guard out of Brazil. Speaking of in the air, right now, the feelings are good around the national rankings. You're number 17. How do you handle the dynamic of being a top 20 team? Because there's some pressure associated with that. So how do you handle it? Uh, I think there are a couple of things about it. I think it's the first time that we're like this big. So to an extent, I still feel a little bit like we're the underdog, that people don't really know that much about us. It's like uh, they're lucky to be there. No, we're actually really good. So there's a little bit of that. And I think the other part is just like, at the end of the day, we're all competitive. Like, I love that stuff. Sure. Make us the target. Like, if we learn to do that every day and beat those teams and make statements like we've been doing in conference, that's good. Sure. Like, You see Oklahoma now at number 14, the one team that has beaten you. How do you handle the emotions of that? Knowing that you were in position yeah, to win that 100%. game at their arena. 100%. Well, you're going to lose some games. Um, we even talked about it. It's better now 
than later when it matters even more. But that just says, like, we lost to a team in overtime that just beat Baylor. So that, to me, it just, it just makes me happy. Great for them. Like, they're a good team. So are we. We could have won. They beat Baylor. It could have been us. So, like, that's it's how I feel. It's validating, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, okay, you beat LMU by 40. Do you get bored in that game? <laughs> yes. As you're Absolutely. shaking your head up and down. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, get bored. It's it's a good uh, problem, right? You guys just pull them out problem. and then yeah. you empty the bench and you can root for your teammates, I guess, right? Yeah, it's funny because Paisley and I had a conversation about that. We're like, dang, like it's our fifth year. We want to play 40 minutes a game. But then if you sit back, there are a couple of things. One, we need that for our net. It is what it is. The more we beat teams by, the better it is. And then it's important for the freshmen, the younger kids. Yeah. Like, it's important for them to play right now and get the feel and feel comfortable for next year and for when it matters this year. So I was just going to ask you, how do you stay engaged in those moments? And it feels like, from my perspective, the engagement comes from rooting on the younger players mm-hmm. that are now receiving additional experience. Yeah, it's, it's like that's definitely hard. Like it's hard because we, you guys, see stuff on social media. Like we're playing around all the time, but <laughs> <laughs> but man, we just we really want to win, and we know it takes. Even against teams like that or games like that, we know it takes engagement. We know it takes focus the whole time from all of us. So we know it takes that. So we do our best to do it. And it comes from cheering. Like we're happy to see the girls succeed. Like I love our freshmen. So, Where does being Brazilian and sort of this natural flair for life, because Brazilians are awesome. <laughs> I loved Brazil. Living I there love how you just described that. <laughs> I love that. Like there's a certain zest yeah. there, right? I don't even know how to say zest in Portuguese. Do you I, know? I don't really know what that means. Yeah, it's like a <laughs> like like a certain spice, a certain enthusiasm, right? Okay. Um, where does that come out in your style of basketball? Oh, I've never thought about that. Uh, I mean, my teammates, uh, especially Tegan, always says that I'm very expressive, like with my mm. with my hands, with my face, like I my expressions that. on the court. So I think there's a little bit of that. Like it's something. It's just like you can see a lot in my face. That's mm-hmm. just kind of what it's like um i think i don't know i, I sometimes like <laughs> i don't know i couldn't tell you i'm just i'm just happy to be there i'm just running doing some samba here and there <laughs> love that speaking some portuguese speaking some portuguese i love yeah that. you break team huddles by saying final four you do that's cool yeah we do it in practice okay yeah. Talk to me about the psychology behind that. Why Final Four? Um, I think it's just a reminder that, hey, we can do it. And we do that because everybody believes it and we want to get out of here doing something really good. And it's just, I think it's just like, hey, like, don't forget about it. But it, there's more behind it. Like, we do the Final Four, but we, we also do things like, we say, put in work, we like family, sure, whatever, whatever sure. we do. So it's really more like, I don't like, I love that we say Final Four, but I, I think that there's just more behind it. It's just more the the action and the process, yeah. not the outcome. Mm. But everybody knows that, which is why it's fine. Like, it's the process. Well, you, it's what you do that day to get there. Yeah. And we, we're all really aware of it. We're not just saying final four like it's possible we know it's hard but it is it's a reminder it's just like hey i like that not the google translate is everything but it just translates to like enthusiasm enthusiasm
This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. Joining us now on the set is the star of BYU Men's Volleyball, Davide Gardini. Davide, it's great to have you back in studio. Thank you guys for having me. It's always good to be here. I feel like you've been on like four times and I've missed three of those. Like, uh, probably. like, I yeah, feel like this is a rare occurrence. Exactly. And you're like, hey, I was on the show. Where were you? And I'm like, you, I'm you were so here sorry. for my first one, though, and it made me yep. feel bad. So then I got used okay. to it. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I apologize. Hey, speaking of social media, we're just talking about BYU Sports Nation right now. Davide, uh, a few weeks ago, I saw a post from you. In fact, I messaged you about this oh. of your car sliding on snow and ice. <laughs> And nearly hitting a pole. And you took a picture of how close it was to hitting this pole. Insanely close. Like, if this were a volleyball play, it would have been under review for like yeah. whether the ball was in or out. I would have challenged out. it. I would have challenged <laughs> that. Yes, it was way too close. Uh, what's it like driving in the snow still for you as an Italian? Um, I'm I'm kind of getting used to it, and, and and I would say I'm pretty good at it. I've never struggled, and you know there was nobody around, so I was just with one of my teammates. We were like fooling around. And then I lost control for the first time ever on the snow, and that felt pretty terrifying. And <laughs> luckily, I kind of did something at the end. I tried to give it some gas, and we stopped in time. So it, it, was, it, was, it was fun. It was fun. I'm so glad that you and your car are okay. We both made it That's out good. okay, yeah. I'm, I'm recalling a high school experience in the parking lot where I hit the curb uh, in a similar situation <laughs> now. Yeah, exactly. Okay, let's talk about this team. Certainly, uh, you know, five starters gone. It was all chips in the last two years. You chose to come back. On this squad, you could have easily said, "You know what? I'm going. I'm playing in Italy." What were some of the reasons why you wanted to be here for this season? You know, I talked for a long time with the coaches, a lot of other people that I trust, um, trying to figure out what to do. Uh, as I said, I had other options, and I thought about it for a long time. But uh, you know, mainly it's about uh, me growing as a as a person, as a leader on the court. You know, I've got a lot of guys around me that trust me and have a lot of faith in them. But it's different. Last year, we were all kind of on the same level. You know, you had Gabby, Will, like a lot of the older guys, and I, I was there with them. This year, sometimes I feel like it's just me in there. And it, it's a great feeling because you got more responsibility. You got to think about way more things. And, you know, the main reason why I thought this is going to be good for me is because at some point in my career, I might get to this point again, maybe professionally overseas. Mm -hmm. So this year is going to help me like down the stretch when I'm in that spot again. And, you know, I'm, I might learn something that's going to help me. How are you handling that? Because it's certainly different, like you talked about. <laughs> and, and the first weekend, you know, two starters can't go. We're unavailable, you know, yeah. COVID stuff. Um, and, and you get swept. That's not something you're necessarily used to. And this season, um, you know, you guys are going to have natural growing pains. How are you sort of coping with this new role? It, it's tough, man. It, it takes a lot of energy out of you. I never, I never realized that until these two games, because in practice you don't really feel that, even if we've been practicing for a while. But it's, it drains you because you are there and you just got to make sure that the guys around you stay with some energy and all that. So we played like a three-set game against Penn State the second night. And halfway through the third set, I was like, man, if we go to five, I don't know how I'm getting to the end of this game because I was drained. Like I had nothing. Like I was trying emotional to, energy. Emotional, like everything. Like Ooh. adrenaline is always up there and you got to talk to everybody. You got to always be engaged. Whereas last year, you know, it's not the best, but sometimes it'll be like, hey, you know, 
Gabby can take care of that. Or, you know, <laughs> like, Zach, Zach Ashenberg will be fine. Like, this year I can't do that. I yep. don't want to do that. Sure. That's why I came back, because I got to learn how to help the guys around me. And so Ooh. it takes takes some energy. It's it's tough. Yeah, <laughs> love that insight. I've never thought about, yeah, the physical toll there. That's it, it's it's very it's very challenging. Davide <laughs> Gardini is with us on BYU Sports Nation. What did you learn about your team in the first two matches that has you feeling encouraged about what you're capable of this season? Because I know it's tough to find good in tough losses like that, but wh- where did you start with that? I think we know that we're a physical team. Uh, even though we lost big pieces, we still got a lot of young guys that are very physical. And when we are focused and when we can play consistent volleyball, doesn't have to be the best volleyball, but we, when we can be consistent, we can play with everybody. We can beat everybody. Um, but at the same time, if we don't have that consistency, then you see us going down. So we can be really up there or just down. So we just got to find a way to be in the middle or just stay on, on that better part of our playing. And I think, I think we can do that. I think I saw some pieces of it, and we just got to make sure to stay there all the time. I'm excited about a lot of things with this team. One of them is Mix Ramanis. So he's a, a kid from California, Latvian descent. And uh, he hit it hard in the weight room with you. Redshirted last year, was probably close to playing in a couple matches, but didn't. So he's a redshirt freshman, has never played in a match for BYU, was unavailable two weeks ago, but he's going to be a good player. Yeah, I've been talking to him. He's, he's super excited. I didn't even realize that he never played before. <laughs> so he was telling me things here and there. I'm like, dude, he never played. That's insane. Like, I'm excited for you. So he's, he's a good player. He's gonna, I, I'm excited for him to go out this weekend and, and show everybody how good he is. Now, Jerem referenced a couple of starters that were unavailable because of COVID scenarios. Your head coach, Sean Olmstead, was also in COVID protocols. So how That's much... news for those that don't know. Yeah. Sean is available tomorrow, tomorrow, but he's been out this whole week. Yep. How much has that added to the pressure that you are feeling as a leader on this team, not having your head coach available for the past little bit? Um, yeah, I, I don't want to think about it too much. You know, we got the other two coaches that can take care of, like, most of the things. So I didn't feel like a big change, and I don't want to, you know, be, because the coach is gone now, I don't want to be the guy that, like, feels entitled to do more. So I try to do my own things, as always. Uh, try to help the guys where I can and try to focus on my things as well. But, you know, we'll miss Sean. It's, it's going to be good to have him back on Friday for Absolutely. the game. So You okay with that mustache? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I, I could say so. Yeah, Sean, you, you, you can keep it. You can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> the plan is for him to keep it tomorrow, so you'll see it on full display. New setter, always uh, you know, a big question. Zio Meyer was the guy that played a little bit last year. Um, how's the development of Zio Meyer as, as taking over for Will Stanley? Oh, it's been insane. The, the kid has been growing a lot. He's gotten better in every single part of the game. Um, he's still a young player. He hasn't played in college like most of the other guys. So sometimes he makes those plays that you're like, you see they're a little, you know, out of the blue, you're like you, you don't expect them, uh, but he can give us a lot from the serving line. He's uh, is is a guy that loves volleyball. Is always trying to learn more, watching video, which is something that I love in the guys from the guys around me, you know. And he's gonna add something to this team. It we, it might take him a little, like you know, a couple of games to get started, but uh, he'll come around and he's gonna be big gun for us. He's gonna be. Pretty, pretty useful. <laughs> Lefty setter. Always yep. love it. <laughs> yeah, let's go. You finally get to play in front of your home fans. Oh. How much of a difference will that make, given the early season struggles, that you, now you get to come home and play in front of the Smithfield house again? It's funny you ask because I was thinking about it last night, and I realized that I haven't played in front of a field house. Not packed, but even with a certain amount of fans in a while. Yeah. And it's different. Like, for me, having fans and, like, having the crowd there just – add something to it that you cannot replicate anywhere else on any other thing. So 
I'm looking forward to it. We we need it. And even when we were at Penn State, we had some fans, but not not nothing great. So uh, it's it's gonna be different. It's gonna fire us up a little bit. And you know, playing the field house is always better for us. It's it's yeah, definitely better. Let's dig in more into what we were talking about about the, kind of your role in this team. <clears throat> How do you avoid trying to do too much? As like, okay, I'm the one returning. Uh, you know, Mitchell Worthington at Libero, and you, you're the one, like, hitter that's back in the starting lineup. How do you avoid trying to do too much this year? Because that would be a natural feeling, I would imagine. And, and it kind of was like that at the beginning of the year. I, I, I felt like I was trying to do too much. I started talking to the coaches or a couple people around me that can help me with those mental things. And, uh, you know, the main thing that uh, I learned is that I still got to trust the guys around me. I got to uh, believe that they're going to do their, their job. And even if they don't, I cannot always be the one that's got to be there and, like, tell them something. I got to let them be, you know. And so I started realizing that, tried to stay on my side, just say something when I feel like it's needed. Uh, but other than that, it's, it's been not too, not too hard. I want to talk about uh, something you've talked about in the broadcast, but... Um, you have a necklace that has, is it, is it, uh, it's an ode to your mom and yeah. dad who played, oh, you're wearing it now. Oh, yeah. The Italian national it. team. Yeah. You always wear it. Tell us about yeah. it. So it's, uh, it's an A and an N, and they're kind of like put together because uh, my dad's name is Andrea and my mom's name is Novella. And then there is a number 13 because my dad used to play in the national team with number one and my mom used to play in the national team with number three. Oh. So 13 is kind of like the family number. My sister played with that number, actually. I ended up picking one for other reasons. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it's something, I don't know, I always have it on me. It's, uh, it's my family staying sure. with me. Sure, close to your heart. That's yes. really cool. <laughs> Love that. Davide Gardini is with us on BYU Sports Nation. Uh, before you go, I want to talk to you about how you get your team to that consistent level. What aspect of the game needs to improve the most? Is it passing? Is it serving? Is it setting? Is it overall defense, energy? How would you say that your team gets to that consistent mark more often than not? Yeah, we've been seeing that like sometimes we lack on energy a little bit, but it also is something that you cannot – fabricate energy when you're not playing good volleyball. So that's something that we need, but I think there's things before that, and we've been talking about it. And serving, well, passing has been okay. I feel like it's not where we were last year, but it's still okay. It's good enough for us right now. Uh, serving has got to improve. Uh, Penn State, that's what kind of killed us, a lot of missed serves. So getting back in the field out as a defense, I know we're going to be more confident. And when you start making serves, you put pressure on the, on the other team. And, you know, they start making mistakes. They're like, oh, okay, now we got to make points. They're not just giving them to us. Um, I think that's going to be a huge thing. And other than that, I would say floor defense. Like not blocking, but floor defense, we will be struggling. And we're not – BYU has always been good at blocking. Back row defense, we, we struggle a little bit, but usually every year we start pretty bad and then we end up getting better throughout the season. So I know we're going to do that again. I'm excited. Hey, UC Irvine, that's a fun matchup too. It's, it's Those guys be. are always long, <laughs> always physical, right? Uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a very fun game. Yeah. <laughs> go. Welcome back to a full Smith Fieldhouse. Let's, let's go, go Anteaters. Yeah, let's go, man. Oh, by the way, for the first time ever, the uh, season ticket reserved seats sold out. Ooh, that's never that's happened. They told us. Which is crazy. So You're a big go. part of that, Davide. Right, let's, go. let's go. They were like, Gardini's back, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Time to recap our double down picks from last night's 
San Diego at BYU game. We each give two predictions. Each one we get correct, which didn't happen, is worth a point. If we get both correct, you're in a bonus point for a total of three points. Jerem, lead us off. Number one, no one will score 20 or more in the game. Alex Barcelo at 22, so bum, no. Bum, Number two, no player will have a double-double. Foose had 14 and 11. I have no points, bye. Hey, we're chilling because uh, I said BYU will hold San Diego to 60 or fewer points. And uh, San Diego passed that mark with about four minutes left in the game. They scored 71, so no point for me there. They also hit more than five three-pointers, which yeah, I said would not happen. The Toreros made a bunch late in the game. They go eight for 20 from the three-point line. So Jeremy and I go 0 for 4 combined yeah, baby. in our picks. BYU won. All good. You're 29. I'm still at 15. And uh, Jason and Dave, it just 29. really doesn't matter. Okay, so what are your picks for the Portland game as we try and turn things around? BYU is going to score 80-plus. Uh, Portland hasn't allowed 71-plus in over a month. So BYU's going to go 80. Okay. 80-plus. Offense will show up. And then Barcelo and Foose combined for 18 or more first-half points. They combined for 25-and-a-half in games. Okay, so they're going to have a big first big half. Big first half. Yeah. Okay, I like these. these. Yeah, these are feeling very proppy. Number one. Portland will Proper. not have more than nine points five minutes into the game. <laughs> Very specific. Yes. They, nine they, points. They will, they will be in single digits as a team five minutes into the game. Now I'm trying to do the math on like... It's, they average 72 points a game. Yeah. So it's 36 a half. Yeah. So five minutes will be nine it's points. It's 18, 10, it's nine. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nine points are your five minutes Yeah. Okay. Okay. Slow cool. start. Slow start for Portland. So yes, they'll be under their average. Per five minutes. Correct. Okay. T. John Lucas will have a three to one assist to turnover ratio or better. Right now he averages mm. about two to one. He's gonna have a big night distributing the ball and taking care of the ball. Three to one for T. John so Lucas. So he has to have a minimum of three assists to even qualify for Correct. your stat. Correct. Yeah. He averages like four-ish. Four point seven. Yeah. And he averages yeah. two and a half turnovers a game. So not quite two to one. Okay. I think he'll go for six assists. Two turnovers or fewer. I do miss dead ball rebounds in this conversation, <laughs> but we'll get to that later. The best of BYU Sports Nation. We'll be right back. Rise and shout for the trending topics of the week here on the best of BYU Sports Nation. If you don't know already, you should learn more about BYU football's back-to-back 10-plus win seasons. 11 in 2020, 10 against a upgraded schedule in 2021 and both of those teams finished in the final top 20 of the Associated Press poll this after BYU had not finished in any AP poll since all the way back in 2009 so then Kalani and they did again Jerem did BYU overachieve the last two seasons or have you reached a point where you are now expecting gulp 10 wins again next season. No, that's laughable. No. Winning 10 is special, especially when you're going to play that tough of a schedule, right? Um, it was an overachievement in a good way. A lot of people want to act like an overachievement is some negative thing. No, it means you did better than was expected. It's okay to not expect the world sometimes, okay? Here at BYU, the best and worst thing that ever happened to Cougar football was winning the national championship. The best thing is obvious. You won the national championship. The worst thing is that you think it's still possible. Um... Well, why isn't it about? Because it's 2022 and it's not 1984, right? Getting to a New Year's Six game is the top of the mountain. 
I, I think that's that would be an incredible accomplishment if and when in the future BYU does that as a member of the Big 12. You know, that'd be great. So it was an overachievement. Now, we can quantify this. Bill Connolly, who's like, if you think I'm nerdy, this guy's nerdy. Uh, love Bill. He, he says, biggest positive difference between win total and second order wins. Basically, like, he said post-game expectancy, and then he has some metric that I don't even understand. Anyway, he's saying who overachieved. He had BYU at ninth. At plus 1.9. Remember how I felt like, eh, it was probably two games. He says 1.9. That's spot on to what I was saying. He said uh, he was expecting BYU to be, you know, uh, 10 and, uh, you know, BYU finished 10 and 2, was projected to be 8 and 1. Uh, 8.1 uh, wins. wins. So 8 so and 4. Plus 2, which is plus 1.9, which is great. It was awesome. Again, BYU overachieved by doing some things that were better than we thought. Jaron Hall was better than we thought. Tyler Argier was incredible. BYU took care of the ball defensively, got some takeaways, didn't turn it over a ton. It helped that the Pac-12 wasn't super great, right? Um, all these things played into where BYU had an open door to walk through for 10 wins. The door was open for 11. BYU didn't walk through it in the bowl game, unfortunately, with UAB and banged up and blah, blah, blah. It was awesome, man. Uh, BYU overachieved. Now, I do not expect to win 10 games again next year. Mm. I, w- I-, I would love nine. I think nine is a nice number right Does there. that include a bowl game win? Or are we talking regular season only? Yeah, I guess we don't know what bowl game. So uh, regular season, um, yeah, I think nine and three would be pretty good. Yeah, nine That's, and three, nine like, and three like, would be fantastic like, yeah. in the regular season. Yeah, and I, a shot at 10 wins with a bowl game? I don't need BYU to win 10 every year. I Like, I need BYU to win 10, you know. Once out of every four years. But I do need BYU to make a bowl game every year. And if you don't make a bowl game, that you rise from the ashes. Now, do we feel like BYU had to have 2017-4-9 to get 2020 and 21? Sometimes that's the case. It isn't always the case. But sometimes a forest needs to be burned down by lightning to regenerate itself. That's nature's reset button, right? I'm not talking where someone actually starts a forest fire. That's illegal and terrible. I'm talking when lightning strikes in a forest and it burns it down, it resets the cycle of that space, and now it becomes even better than maybe it was before. Did that happen from 2017 with 20 and 21? I'm not sure, but let's be honest. In uh, 2019, BYU was 2 and 4 and staring down the barrel of maybe no Kalani's talking, maybe pushing the reset button. Boom. Aaron Roderick starts calling the plays, and BYU takes off, man. Here's why I believe BYU will win 10 games next year. Oh, snap. And I'm including... A bowl game here. I think Some BYU yeah. will win whatever bowl game they go to, assuming that they're not the walking wounded and yeah. they don't have to be relegated to right. play in the independent bowl, say, which they are not slated to play in next season. I was going to say, BYU's lost two or three bowl games. It's they're no, a bowl it's a game gimme. free agent, according to ESPN, this upcoming season. BYU's lost two G5 opponent bowl games of the last three. <sighs> so, like, it's no guarantee that you win that game. You know. Here's why I think BYU will win 10 games. You look at the schedule and you say, Whoa, it is absolutely loaded. After the game at South Florida, which BYU will be an obvious favorite to win in Tampa, even though BYU as a team has not been great in the state of Florida. They got rid of that curse with the Boca Raton Bowl. You just got to play crappier teams. Okay. South Florida, not great. But then BYU takes on the likes of Oregon and Arkansas and later Notre Dame. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah, Baylor. Baylor. Baylor's going to be a very different team. They are uber-talented, but they will lose the gist of that uber-talent to the NFL. Rightfully so. Those guys have earned it. They won the Sugar Bowl. They won the Big 12. 
A lot of those guys are going to leave the program, and Baylor has to come to Provo. So I like BYU's chances in that game in their home digs. Oregon has a brand-new head coach, and they're dealing with some transition. That has typically fared well for BYU in the past. So I don't think going to Autzen Stadium and playing against Oregon is out of the realm of possibilities of BYU winning that game. Arkansas is in some trouble. There's some scandal surrounding that program now after some recent revelations on social media. That's every SEC team every year. Are they going to be dealing with a scenario where a bunch of players are suspended? Uh, the coaching staff, recruiting maybe, is messed up, maybe scholarships are taken away. <laughs> Who knows? It's like game Who knows? seven. They'll be all right. And they've got to come to Provo. SEC yeah. teams typically don't have to travel this far. They're coming to Provo. Notre Dame is a unique challenge in Las Vegas. That's going to be an amazing game. Notre Dame's going to be really good again. Yeah. Like, Notre, so, Dame's, Notre Dame's always good, and this isn't a New Year's Six game, so they have a chance to win. <laughs> Shots fired. They're, they're terrible in that. I would love to be Notre Dame, don't get me wrong, and sure. like, go to New Year's Six games. I'm not saying BYU's better than oh, I Notre follow, Dame. BYU's I not. Like, I wish BYU was Notre Dame. I look at the fifth Power 5 game that BYU plays next year at Stanford. Stanford is not in a great place right yeah, now. It's going to take a while for that program to build back up and become what they they hope were once in the Pac-12. BYU played a couple of those kind of games this last year. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. BYU's been there. They have yeah. experienced this. They bring back a ton of talent and experience on the offensive side of the ball. We hope that they will be much more healthy on the defensive side of the ball and bring back that experience. But, Jeremy, just based on the continuity of what BYU has at the core, on offense especially, and then defense getting healthier, you extend your coach, you've been through a gauntlet Power 5 schedule, you won 10 games, so the belief is there. The culture and the yeah, belief yeah. are there. It's there. So mm-hmm. I feel like you say 9-3, and three, it's like, wow, 9-3 and three against that schedule? Yes. That'd be nice. 9-3 nine, nine and three is going to happen against that schedule. And it Hopefully. might be 10 wins. It might be 10 because That's a really BYU high end, is in yeah. a unique position that we, or I rather, just presented. So, strangely, I am expecting 10 wins if you throw in the bowl game. I think BYU is going to win their bowl game, that they'll have an opportunity to do so Hopefully. as a free agent. But 10 wins, 10 and 3, including a bowl game, is definitely not out of the realm of possibility. BYU is a good, experienced team that brings back a veteran, really talented quarterback. That is worth a lot. Yes. Uh, not having Tyler Algier also worth not a lot, uh, which is which is rough. So BYU's got to replace them. That that's a huge the the biggest question mark. Yeah, that'd be awesome, man. Is I'd, it Christopher Brooks? I take is he a I'd thousand take, yard uh, rusher. Is it Chris Brooks or is it Christopher Brooks? That's the question we'll debate coming. Up. <laughs> yeah, nine, listen, ninety three plus. BYU basketball taking care of business. And we begin (laughs) with a resume update, Jerem. BYU in the net rankings, number 27, Mm. down one spot. In spite of a win, it's okay. San Diego's metrics, not great. 198. BYU still top 25 in Ken Palm at number 25. Bracketology, as of this morning, has BYU as an eight seed. Team rankings giving the Cougars an 81.7% chance of making the tournament. I honestly think it should be higher than that. Bracket Matrix, which is uh, the mystery that we can never really figure out. but Compilation. 7.71 seed on average. And the Athletic just started their NCAA tournament projections. They have BYU as a 7 seed. Yep. All solid metrics, solid numbers. I would say solid, better than solid. Especially like, when really you consider good. what BYU is dealing with. 
from a personnel standpoint. No, this is great. You're always looking good, man. You're always firmly in. Okay. Uh, now, eight or nine seed is a different question. We, those are my least favorites, but trust me, I'd rather be in than not. Also of note, BYU now has two quad one wins because Missouri State has jumped into an area of the net rankings. BYU winning in a true road game against Missouri State. They're a top 75 team now. Now BYU yeah. has two quad one wins, both on the road at Missouri State and at San Francisco. Yeah, Missouri State's 70. There Solid you go. stuff. The fighting whatevers, getting it done. The Bears? Bears. There you go. Great, you've endangered the entire <laughs> news station. <laughs> Jerem, given the choice, as you look at the metrics, would you take a guaranteed eight seed right now in the NCAA tournament? Or are you more of the opinion that, hey, play out the final 10 and come what may? How do you feel about that? I do love the song Come What May from uh, Moulin Rouge, but that's just me. I would play it out, and here's why. I don't like the eight or the nine. I would love to see if BYU could get the seven or a 10. I'd rather have BYU well, as a 10 seed. I'd rather have BYU as an 11 than an eight. Because because a 6-11 is not a, a big disparity, and then you're playing a 3, not a 1 after that, if you win, right? So I, I'd be fine. But let's go to the glasses here. Okay. You, know, you know what? Let's go, to, okay. let's go to the resume here. Yes, yeah, low uh, on the nose. Yep, uh, it always has to be low. It can never be normal. <laughs> it's like, my, it's like, like old people when they hold the phone, it's like out here. Yeah, anyway. Uh, okay, two quad one wins, right? Uh, six and three still in quad two. Only four quad one and quad two games available in the, uh, you know, um, the rest of the season. Six, quad three, and four. That doesn't even count the yet-to-be-rescheduled Portland game, which, please, let's just not reschedule it. I don't, we don't need that game. It might not happen. We don't need the game. Um, so you have four opportunities to potentially help yourself, but you also have six opportunities to potentially have a quad three or quad four loss. Mark Pump has yet to have one Wild. in, in uh, two-plus seasons now. So I would play it out mainly because I don't like an eight seed. I just think it's... I'd rather BYU be a 10 or 11 than an 8 or 9. So play it out. If BYU beats San Francisco at home and then... When BYU beats... Okay, when they beat San Francisco at home. They're going to defend the MC here. And if BYU can win at St. Mary's, we're talking about a 7 seed for sure. You give BYU two more quality wins on the resume and there's no slip-ups in quad 3 and quad 4... I think BYU's earned a seven seed. So, so I play it out. So will BYU lose, do we think? Gonzaga at home, if they win, that's great. Let's just say they lose. Okay. Um, and then one more loss. Maybe are Santa we, Clara? Are we thinking at St. Mary's? Or at St. Or Mary's? At Santa Clara? St. Mary's almost lost at Santa Clara last night. Didn't know. Um, yeah, I think two, two losses. So you go in with six losses to Vegas, assuming there's going to be a loss there. So you finish with seven. You're the Here. number two seed in the WCC yeah. tournament. You, uh, you, you hopefully win that semi, get another quad one win over St. Mary's, San Francisco, conceivably. And then uh, you play Gonzaga. If you win that, amazing. Uh, if you don't, still helps the net. So here's the thing. If BYU is a projected X, you probably add one given Sunday play. That's typically how it works. Okay. So when BYU in 2020 was going to be a, a you know, Lenardi had him a six. There were five right before that. When, when the dust settled and you have to actually pair things and all the different nuances of the bracket and avoiding rematches and conference matchups, and da, 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 you drop a seed almost always, not every time. So if you want BYU to be a seven, they need to climb to a six. Okay. Well, last year, last year, BYU, maybe surprisingly, was projected as a six, and they received a six. And we were like, whoa, we, 
we kind of thought that they would slide to the seven line. They right. didn't. It's so not like 100% it doesn't, yield. It doesn't always happen that way. But, like, if you really want that, yeah, you probably need to be one seed higher. If BYU wants to be a six seed, then they have to have two more quad one victories, I think, which most – Two more? Which most likely – Well, one in Vegas then. Yeah, yeah exactly. San Francisco. Would happen – either San Francisco at home, depending on where the Dons are, at St. Mary's, and then you pick up a, a nice San, neutral victory in Las Vegas. San Fran at home is, I don't think, going to be a quad one because they're not going to be top 30 when the dust settles, I don't think. I think they'll be Most likely not. in the 30s or 40s, right? So uh, a top 50 game in Vegas is conceivable. You'll have two more opportunities. It'll be Gonzaga at home and then WCC tournament semifinal and or uh, championship game. At St. Mary's. And at St. Mary's. So conceivably um, three quad one yes, games left. Yes, so it's at St. Mary's. There's, there's the one. There's the one you can totally get, right? And then uh, WCC tournament in the semis. So there are two. Yeah, there are two there. Yeah. You probably have to win two to feel good about being a six seed and then feeling safe for a seven seed. Hard to know exactly, but yeah. Yeah. Right uh, now, BYU hopefully is things pacing, check out well. Yeah, they're pacing to be a top 25 team, too, for whatever that's worth. Nothing. Other than exposure, <laughs> right? It's fun to see BYU's name on the ticker and have your highlights play on SportsCenter every night and the college basketball shows because you are a ranked team. They don't, they don't necessarily show all the top 25 anymore, but yeah. Yeah, when it's on the ticker, it's cool. Okay, so some national recognition. Um, there have already been a couple of teams in, from 21 to 25 that have lost this week. So if BYU beats yeah, Portland, cool. BYU yeah. should be a top 25 team. But as we have pointed out yeah. in the resume update, being a top 25 Ken Palm team and top 25 net team that's, where it's at. That's the most important. Um, and if you can do Ken Palm as well, that's great. Because those are actual metrics that the committee looks at and then will use. Yeah. Right? Those matter more than, yeah, the opinion polls, which are fun. They're, that's what they are to me. They're Play fun. this thing yeah. out, man. I think BYU is a bad matchup for St. Mary's, just the way that BYU plays, rebounding and tenacity and gets ugly. Like That's what St. Mary's does to teams. Now, BYU is giving St. Mary's a dose of what the Gales have done to teams for such a long time. I wish Mark Pope would wear an oversized suit just to have some fun with that with Randy Bennett. Here's where I could see the counter-argument to, no, 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 I want it now. Buey's probably hanging by a thread in terms of health as a team and personnel. Obviously, like, you're one, like, if they, you know, knock on wood if you're superstitious, you need uh, A.B. and Tijon and Foos to all be good. Like, if there was any issue among those three, that's a massive problem. So that, that is one concern I have is, well, yeah, assuming that we assume health. Stay yeah, healthy. We do. But, like, there's no guarantees in athletics that every – like, look at what happened to BYU football. At the, in the middle of the season, you would have been crazy to think that BYU would lose to UAB in the bowl game, but it happened um, because BYU was down to some third stringers in certain spots that – Got an opportunity, unfortunately, uh, you know, we're on skates defensively against the run game. Some instances is so, fourth and fifth stringers. So, so, right? And that's where I say, let's just be careful to not assume that everything's going to be what it is now. Like, things change quickly. Sometimes for the better, sometimes they get worse. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Hear what the coaches, athletes, and experts have to say. Here's another great interview from the week on the best of BYU Sports Nation. Joining us now, man, 
who thankfully made the decision to transfer to BYU. Thank goodness. So glad he did. Tijon Lucas in studio. Tijon, welcome back to the show. Thanks for hanging out with us after a wild weekend, man. For sure. Thank you guys for having me out here. How were your emotions after that up-and-down game that ultimately finished on a supreme high at San Francisco? It was just like the whole weekend. It was a roller coaster ride up and down. Um, you know, a lot of highs, a lot of lows. But you know, ultimately, you know, we were able to get a win at the end of that game, which we were down most of the game. And so I was just, you know, excited to come away with a weekend split. And, you know, anytime you have two road games, you know, especially against those quality opponents, you know, getting a split is something that's very good. Were you guys aware of the Mark Pope regular season never lost back to back stat? Yeah, was that top we've, of mind? We've we've heard it ever since we've lost. Every time, <laughs> every time we lost, any yeah. loss, we're like, hey, we never lost back to back games. But you know, at at the end of the day, I think we got a lot of guys with character and you know a lot of heart, and you know we don't really look into you know having losing back to back games. We just try to focus in the moment, and I think you know. Us going into that game, we were pretty confident in the preparation we had. It was a lot of mental prep because we didn't want to, you know, use our legs a lot the the travel day. But, you know, ultimately, you know, we had success in getting a win. Okay, so Thursday night, take me back to that. Because you guys are, this is one of the best defensive teams BYU's ever had. Gonzaga just goes crazy. How do you uh, mentally and physically rebound, um, you know, that way to be ready for a huge game on Saturday night? Because that easily could have got away from you if you let Thursday linger. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, we just had to get back to what we do best. Um, even though we got out rebounded a little bit, which is one of our main principles every night in and out, um, we were able to focus in on our scout report keys, you know, try to take away threes. You know, we know St. Francis, uh, Francisco shoots a lot of threes, and I don't think they shot made that many that night. I think they made only two. And, you know, that was something we wanted to take away. And I think we did a good job in doing that. And then, you know, we knew they were going to fight hard and they're a good veteran team. So, you know, we just had to take away their strengths and try to, you know, win and live off of what they do, least likely. Yeah, BYU's three-point defense uh, and that Ken Pomeroy index, one of the best in the country for sure. Three for 23, 13%. Woo! That'll do. Tijon Lucas is with, the, with us on BYU Sports Nation. What do you think about the West Coast Conference thus far? Because this is your first go-around with the WCC. You've already played St. Mary's at Gonzaga and at San Francisco in that order, by the way. So what do you think of the West Coast Conference? Uh, I think it's a very good league. Um, like, they keep uh, reiterating that it's one of the best – leagues out there right now you know for NCAA tournament bids this year uh, hopefully and you know those teams are great we played St. Mary's at home Gonzaga away San Francisco away and those teams you know give them credit they, they've been doing a great job they took care of their non-conference slate and you know we were able to you know have some fight in us and come away with two out of the three wins against you know three other the top teams in our conference so you know WCC is great league and I think, you know, we're we're poised to be a pretty good, you know, defending champ or whatever you want to get us to in one, two, three spot, and I think we can do well in it. Let's go. Let's go. Okay, um, let's talk about the free throw situation. I'm not going to have you comment on the officiating because I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but I'll say it because can, I can get in plenty of trouble. Um, so at 12.41 in the second half, that's the first free throws for the team. Technical foul happened. Someone said something on the bench or whatever. I don't know what happened. But whatever happened, it was good. Because after that, you guys shoot 18, they shoot 9. You get U to the line, 6-6, six, six, AB to the line, 3 of 4. What role did free throw shooting play in winning that game? Um, I think, 
you know, it played a big part in it. Free throws can win and lose you the game. You know, if we lose, miss some of those down the stretch, I miss some of those down the stretch, you know, who knows the trajectory of that game. But, you know, I think overall we just started to match their, match their physicality. And so they had to start making calls our way because we just, you know, kind of forced them to make those calls. On offense? Yeah, on offense. So it's like we had to make those guys make calls. And, you know, we knew what the free throw numbers were, you know, going into halftime. We didn't shoot any, but... You know, once, you know, great shooters and great players get to the free throw line, the basket opens up a lot too. So, you know, we just kept emphasizing, you know, play with force, you know, keep attacking. and There that know, is, the, the force. Cause. Use the <laughs> force. Yep. Yes, Love the it. force. And, you know, it uh, it eventually, you know, play out. And, you know, gladly at the end of the game, we started to get to the line and, you know, credit guys like, you know, Tiki Ali Tiki. You went in and mm. hit two for two in the uh, second half and then you know Seneca hits them and Alex and me and so you know Fuz went stepped up there and hit some big ones so you know I think we have a pretty good free throw shooting team and so you know one of our goals is you know to get up there be efficient and have confidence up there. Alex wanted to make it interesting at the very end. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> a little drama. Yeah sure sprinkle drama. some drama in. Oh yeah yeah go better, for a three. Yeah, yeah. Just miss a three. Yeah. Okay Tijan you quote tweeted uh, John Rothstein of CBS Sports, who said, hey, buy stock in Foose Toyota right now. What do you think about Foose's rise by necessity because Richard Harward and Gavin Bax right now? How is he doing this? It's unbelievable what Foose is doing out there. Uh, he's just a freshman. He's learning as he's playing. And honestly, uh, since I've been in college, he's probably the best or one of the best freshmen I've ever played with just because of his upside and how he's been playing and controlling himself. And he's taking on a lot. Um, playing a five-man, you know, you're kind of our leader on defense, um, talking a lot. And, you know, even on offense, he's been doing a lot of great things. He's shooting, I don't know what percentage he is from the field, but he's shooting great. He's averaging nearly almost a double-double the last, like, five, six games. And, you know, you just can't, you know, respect and appreciate Foose because he's just been – killing it out there you know back-to-back freshman of the weeks so you know I'm just super proud of him happy we can have him on the team and you know his upside is huge and when he said buy stock now I was like <laughs> I'd take all my savings and yeah. buy stock yeah, and buy the, you buy bought the, it long ago right? yeah, <laughs> buy exactly. the crypto right now exactly 52 uh, percent is the number by the way oh yeah and it's just dunking on fools in this one there was some there was some teeth grinding dunks in there when when he dunked uh against San Francisco and just hung on the rim with one arm I'm like I'm on the bench like, wow, this kid's nice. Like, <laughs> because I'm, I don't think anybody thought he was just going to dunk that when he caught it because he just reversed. And yep. people forget Foose is like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, with like a 7'3 wingspan. Mm-hmm. Do you ever have it's him like, reach anything you can't grab? You're like, hey, nah. Foose, come on here. Just like, yeah. I should, though. I should, though. I should, though. <laughs> but his arms are super long, and, you know, he's just very skilled and poised. He's so calm as a freshman. Like, you know, a lot of guys get sped up, and Foose is just out there playing like he's a veteran already. He, it, seriously, it, his growth has been tremendous. Kind of Yoli Child's freshman year-esque. Shabazz and Boye uh, have given BYU fits over the last couple of years. Like you and Alex, they're seniors who came back with COVID. What was that matchup like? Because that, that was fun to watch the four of you kind of go out of there. Oh, it was a great matchup. Those guys, you know, play hard. They were getting into us physically a lot early on. You know, they jumped the passing lanes. They tried to deny us a lot and you know, what we did on the defensive end, I think for the most part, we did a pretty good job on them guys. Um, you know, 
we like to say, like, if you take more shots than you made points, then I think you did a pretty good job. And that's what I think, you know, we did with those guys. And, you know, they settled for some threes and some contested twos. But, you know, we live with contested twos. So, honestly, I think, you know, all our guys did a good job. You know, Spencer got a little piece of them. Gideon got some of them, you know. And, you know, overall, I think we stuck to the scout report, run them off the three-point line and make those guys shoot long twos. And overall, I think it went well. You're rocking one of your Find Your Purpose hats. How did that come to be? What what went into kind of the generation of all of that? And I was wearing mine all weekend, by the way. Oh, it's thank you. It's a nice hat. Yes, I love it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yeah, you know, so I, I signed a NIL deal, Steel Hats, and they're based out of Utah. And, you know, they kind of, you know, hit me up talking. And I like what they stood for at the end of the day. You know, a lot of times you get a lot of deals and, a lot of people ask you to do things, but, you know, I wanted to see what their, you know, what their purpose was and what they have their meaning for. And, you know, I did my research. They have a hat with Tanner Magum, who was the former QB here with a, a mental health mm-hmm. kind of thing mm-hmm. and his yep. story on their website. And I thought that was brilliant. And so they wanted to kind of tell my story through apparel and hats. And I think, you know, something I stand for was find your purpose. And I think, you know, I found my purpose through basketball. And so, you know, if you look at that, the hat, it has like a basketball, you know, kind of design on it with the find your purpose. And, you know, we told my story about, you know, how I came up growing through Milwaukee and all the trials and tribulations and breaking my ankle and going to the NBA Top 100 camp, finally getting big time offers and being a late bloomer and, you know, just sticking with it. And so I think that, the find your purpose idea was, you know, something we found mutually that could represent me and what the company is about. And, you know, it's something that I pride myself on and something I think people in the whole world can mm. take and say, hey, what's my purpose in my life? Like, what's my purpose in doing this and that? And so I think it was a great collaboration and just, you know, blessed to be able to do it. Yeah, we love the hats that you gave it's us. Awesome, man. We, yes. We're Appreciate so glad that. you found yeah. your purpose at BYU and what you're doing for this BYU oh, basketball yeah. program and setting a great example. Tijan, thanks for hanging out with us. We know you got to get to practice. and, and <laughs> Early practice but, uh, today, holiday yeah. early practice. Right? I'll take it. I'll take yeah, it. Yeah, 11 a.m. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, let's give you some karma so you can have some energy for practice. Yes. Go get yes. it done this week. Thanks, yeah. brother. Thank you, guys. Tijan Lucas with us on BYU Sports Nation, BYU Basketball Transfer Point Guard. We'll be right back with more of the best of BYU Sports Nation. The best of BYU Sports Nation collects our favorite conversations and brings them to you every Saturday. BYU and Nevada will open the 2024 college football season against each other on August 31st in Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Which begs the question, Jerem, what did we learn about BYU football's future non-conference scheduling with the addition of Nevada to 2024? Because at that point, BYU will be integrated into the Big 12. Let's do some deductive reasoning here. Mm -hmm. So Big 12, uh, you know, uh, report this week from Dennis Stott is that they're uh, thinking about nine games, not eight conference games. So that would mean you have three non-conference games. That would mean you have Nevada. That would mean you have Utah. Mm -hmm. That would mean you need an FCS team, I would think, that BYU would stay with that. And then it's done? So the schedule's done. The schedule's done, Um, basically. So let's talk through that. We know Nevada August 31st, as you mentioned. Now, there are a bunch of names on here. Um, At Utah, probably available on September 7th still with the Big 12 schedule. I assume they're not going to be like, hey, week two, got to play a Big 12 game. 
So then it's just fitting the FCS game in. That's sure, it. Sure. That's it. Which I, I like this non-conference philosophy. Let's talk through it. One is that you play an FCS game. One is that you play a G5 game, probably at home. And hopefully BYU can start to get into the, we're a big, bad Power 5 team. Now we can play seven conference or home games if we want. Seven home. And then I think you should always play Utah. So the question is, will BYU ever have, um, and I think it will because BYU's been aggressive in scheduling, not passive, um, the, the other big non-conference game. Like, do you want to sacrifice, like Utah did with Florida, Utah for another game? Or are you saying, nope, we're going to throw out the G5? Because I think you need an FCF in there to help you get to a bowl game just in case it's that kind of season where you're not winning 8-plus, right? Can you win 5 FCS games that season. In a bad year, hopefully you can, right? So it's interesting. If it's eight games in the Big 12, now that opens up the opportunity to go play a whoever you want outside of Utah, G5, FCS. But that's what I would like those three to be if it's only three. But then if it's not Utah, if it is Utah, you are sacrificing like, oh, you're never playing a game with a Notre Dame in Vegas again. Um, Do you want that? Because the Big 12 will be tough enough. It will be tough enough you have some big games. So depends what you want. If it's a nine-game schedule, certainly I like Utah, G5 at home, FCS at home. You know what's amazing about five FBS wins and then an FCS win to get to six? In the Big 12, BYU will have a bowl tie-in that will get them to a bowl game that even at six and six is going to be a better scenario than what BYU has largely faced in independence. You're saying the bowl game's yeah, better? Yes. It's not always necessarily true. Like, there, there are bowl games where... Not always true. Like, like, well, like, Utah could be in the Independence Bowl in the next couple of years. The Pac-12 will have a tie-in. Like, it's not always the case. But we hope... The perception is that. I think the perception is if you're a Power 5, whatever bowl game you're playing is a better game. Because of who you are, not what the bowl game is. The Utah game in 2024 is interesting because... That game is scheduled after a two-year hiatus because yep. the Utes opted to play a two-game series with the University of Florida. They it's will be in the swamp in 2022. Florida will make a rare trip west out of the eastern time zone and take on Utah in 2023. So that was like, hey, so long, BYU. We'll see you in 2024. So I would imagine that that game absolutely will happen in yeah. 2024. It's not going to go after a two-year hiatus. Well, it's, it's uh, scheduled, is it not? It is scheduled, but yeah. all of these other games are scheduled too and up for – Hey, well, let's cancel the contract because BYU's in the Big 12 now. Utah's a little different, isn't it? So for me, yeah, Nevada, Utah, does BYU opt to keep another G5 game or go with an FCS opponent? I say stick with FCS. You're trying to get to a bowl game every year at a minimum. But don't you think BYU having Hawaii in Provo is, doesn't that feel like a game BYU probably will be favored to win by 17-plus? Why he's playing like an FCS program right now. Yeah. And operating like one. Sure. Right? They have that's, some major that's issues. That's what I'm saying. So yeah. I think BYU does have some options here with teams on the schedule because some of these teams are not great. They've also got Georgia Southern scheduled right. to come to the, Provo. The last matchup with Hawaii, BYU lost. Like I, I would argue that there's a big difference with FCS and Hawaii. Yeah. Either way. BYU and Tom Holm will have some big decisions to make. And when do you throw in the bye week? Is I think Dix- that's a small decision. Is Dixie it's State easy. is the Dixie State game going to stay November sixteenth, or does that game move up? It, uh, BYU might have to find a different FCS opponent based on the Big Twelve. Does schedule. BYU take they, the SEC scheduling philosophy and want to play an FCS late in the season if yeah. that is even available in the Big Twelve? I don't know what the Big Twelve's kind of schedule. I haven't dug in that hard on. Nope, it has to be week three or whatever. 
Then you say goodbye to Utah State as well. Yeah. What? So no game yeah. with the Aggies in 2024 because you go State. with Nevada, yep. Utah, yep. and then FCS. If the Big 12, when Texas and Oklahoma eventually leave in 2025, opt for an eight-game conference schedule, now you have more room to maybe work in a Boise State or a Utah State into a four-game non-conference slate. Yeah, I, I feels like it will be nine, right, based on the report. And welcome back to visiting the in-laws for BYU. You, you've been divorced every Christmas and Thanksgiving. You've been able to go where you've wanted to go. Guess what? You don't have a choice as to when you're going to play Iowa State or whatever. You know what I mean? So welcome to, yep, every other Christmas is at the in-laws or whatever, however you function in, in uh, you know, your marriage. But welcome back to a conference sure. schedule, which, which is awesome. Like, it, it's just Tom Homo, Tom Homo's job as a scheduler just got way easier you know, it doesn't mean it's easy. Well, not necessarily because he's got to get rid of like 70 games once, that have contracts. Once he does, then, <laughs> yeah. No, that's why you have a contract. And and BYU doesn't have to be buy out those because they had a clause in there that if they went to a P5, it's all good. Sure. Maybe there's a minimal buyout. I'm not exactly sure, but it's not that. No, his job as a scheduler got way easier. He has three games a year versus 12 and a bowl game. See, and I have no issue with your proposal of FCS, G5, Power 5. And, and specifically at home, by the way. G5 at home. Don't play road G5s anymore. We don't need that. But I would not be opposed to Power 5, G5, and then lower tier G5. I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal, especially if all those games are in Provo. Or at least in the state. Because you're playing Depends. Utah and it's going to be in Salt Lake City. If BYU struggles in the Big 12, then you need to ensure it's an FCS. Just to make sure you go into a bowl game. Because that money matters. That money's important. Join the conversation 24-7 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook using the hashtag BYUSN. The best of BYU Sports Nation rolls on after this. Get caught up in the week in Cougar Sports. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation. Despite being a Muslim at a Christian school thousands of miles away from Mali, freshman Fusini Traore feels right at home at BYU. This is Deep Blue featuring Fus, presented by Brady Industries, Simply Better. My name is Fusini Traore. Traore. I'm trying so hard to say his last name correctly. I, when he says it and I say it, I'm like, it's the same. And he's like... No coach. <laughs> so I'm working on it. People call me Fuzia. Yeah. I'm from Mali, West Africa. Coming from like those super humble circumstances and then coming to the States, he has not lost one ounce of his hunger and determination, humility. So Fuzia's journey started with uh, initially being introduced to me. And uh, when he came here, he was uh, able to live with the Zentner family. You know, we started to get pictures and we started to go through this process of, of okay, who is this, you know, boy and, and how would this work? And, and then it happened quick. Within about two and a half months, uh, Foos was, Mike was like, it's ready. And love, you don't get this chance twice. Just one, one, one time, yeah. But if you say now, maybe you might not get another one. Who knows, yeah. And I was so happy. My family was so happy to me. Yeah, I was so happy too. Because 
I will say life is a love battle here, and you got a lot of opportunity. Even if no, even no bus, just basketball, like school-wise too. When you got here, like diploma, you can go back in your country and be anything you want. We were there in the morning, got the got the visa. He said, "I need to go home and say goodbye to my family, my friends," and he literally met me at the airport with a backpack with maybe a, a shirt and one pair of pants and some shoes. And so it's middle of the night, you know, in, in the heart of winter, uh, December, and, and here's this boy coming that has never seen us, never talked, speaks zero English. <laughs> After I got here, it was like snowing like crazy. And I said, wow, what is that? Like, it was freezing. I said, I'm not used to that. You know, just an incredible amount of, of faith and hope in Mike and what he could provide for these boys and, and trusting that he's lined up these families that would be impactful for, for Foos. And, and we just feel, you know, tremendously grateful that, that we were able to play that role. They grew to love him very much, and he felt the love. And then when they moved, the Saunders uh, invited him to live with them. They had such a big impact on him as well, and they had a son that played with Foos as well. And then for the next year and a half, he was um, in our home as he was a sophomore and a, a junior at the Wasatch Academy. And he was, uh, which was a privilege for us because Richie in going there didn't know anybody. And then he ha had Foos to be in the home with him as his, his, his friend, his brother. And so he's got a pretty big um, fan base now, so to speak and uh, they all love him, and he's lucky to have such a large extended family. I miss my family, but I never feel like I'm alone, you know, because of my host family, Zentner and Sanders, like, they're always, always there for me. So Foose has influenced us all in a lot of different ways, but how he has influenced me the most, I would say, is just the bravery, the bravery that that he came with, that what it takes to, to leave your family and come to the United States to try to, to create a life for yourself and for your family and your country and to make them proud. And he has handled it as well as anyone. And, and it's inspiring to us, to me, because gosh, it's, he's been asked so much and he just handles it so well. I'm Muslim, first year, and in my belief, like, is we need to be kind to each other and always pray. Like, I'm always trying to be, like, the best person as I can be. I think Foos is without guile. And when nobody's looking, you can guarantee Foos is going to do the right thing. He's just that committed to correct principle. And there's, there's no question when, when the crossroad is in front of him and he has to choose to, to go to the left or, or to, to go to the right, he's gonna choose the right way because he knows in his heart that it's the right way. And he, he's a man that doesn't compromise that way. And I think it's been inspiring. It's been inspiring to anybody that knows Foose. 
he had four top 25 teams uh, offer him, want him, and, and two of them were exceptional fits. They were very good fits. But when it dials back to what's important to Foos, you know, we had academics, we had a coach relationship, we had some different pieces with that, um, and, and where he fit, you know, in the program. But he analyzed it all out and then prayed about it. It was very difficult, and after, like, I say, okay, like, tonight I'm gonna pray and ask God, yeah. And I just pray and went to bed. And the first thing in my mind tomorrow, that's where I'm gonna go. Next morning I wake up, it was BYU, you know. I just call everybody, call BYU. It's time now I'm, I'm committed. That was it, was, it was one of the best things in my life, yeah. It speaks to his purity and that relationship, but it was cool for him to grow into this another level of, of an individual relationship with God, and it's something he took really serious. He has taught us devotion and expanded our view of, of religion and God and faith, and we are very grateful for that. And I hope that we've expanded his view of faith and devotion as well. Like, right when I come here, like, kind of, I never feel enough, you know? Because, like, we always got each other back no matter what. Like, here is always, like, it's feel like real family, you know? You never feel enough. Like, if, even when you do something, like, you, you already know your, your, your teammate got back, you know? That's why it's just so special here. It's very special. Foos, man. How do you not love this guy? And uh, I've said it many times up here. <clears throat> There's a place for everybody at BYU. There's a place for a Muslim from Mali. And he fits in perfectly yes. here. And he's an amazing person. And we're just scratching the surface with what he can do as a basketball player and as a person. Like, I entered the room to record the film room Monday, and he was just like, what's up, Jerem? And it was just like, oh, I'm so excited to just hang out with you. You seem so uh, nice, so genuine. Beyond anything that he will ever do on the basketball court, he is a person that you pull for as a human being. Yes. He is phenomenal. And honestly, um, it, was, it was cool to see him pray, right? It was cool to see him be him. Um, and, and he's just an awesome dude. Very excited about the future for Booski. Absolutely. The best of BYU Sports Nation will be back after this on BYU Radio. This is the best of BYU Sports Nation on BYU Radio. Okay, Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports produced an article yesterday highlighting discussions with the Big 12 regarding a myriad of topics, so let's highlight the good ones. The athletic directors of the league, including the new ones, and BYU's Tom Homo met in Las Vegas in December. We can confirm that. We know Tom went to that. The league is planning to split into two seven-team divisions beginning in 2023 when BYU is in it. Here's one proposal of a north and south. Let's walk through it. North, Cincy, BYU, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. Remember, Oklahoma and Texas are in it for two years until they leave for the SEC. Big 12 South, potentially. Just an option. Baylor, Houston, TCU, Texas, Texas Tech, UCF, West Virginia. What do you think, Shep, of these division breakdowns? And this is, again, this is just an idea. This isn't like a report of what they'll be. Uh, this is the part that fascinates me. There's a lot of great information in this piece, you know, in terms of how many conference games are you going to play and what, what, 
how many games will you have within the conference and are you going to be able to what, – what it looks like in terms of non-conference. That stuff all works itself out. What I am more concerned about and really has my attention is what the divisions look like. I want to know where BYU is going to be. And the, the one that you mentioned, the, the possibility, just kind of throwing it out there, that was in the piece from Dennis Dodd, who again is going to join us coming up in our next segment, you know, it's based off of a north and south breakup of the divisions. So the biggest question is, Breaking is up? are you going to go oh. north and south? Or are you going to go east and west? Why not go northeast and southwest? That's would be no just one's a little, little breaking little, that down. A little complicated. I personally would like to see things be an east division and a west division. Amen. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, and I understand geography these days doesn't doesn't matter a whole lot, but you are going to have. It makes sense when you have somebody so far west in BYU and somebody so far east in West Virginia and UCF that you do an east-west. The other reason I would like to see that versus a north and south, if you go north and south, I think what you're what you're essentially doing is putting all the Texas teams together. And I know you like that or no? I do not like that. Oh, why not? For a couple of reasons. The number one is is from the recruiting standpoint. No, the number one is Ramsey's arms and legs. <laughs> so, what are you talking about? So I look at it, and this is not just a BYU thing. This would be anybody that would not be in, in a division that would play against the Texas teams. You want to be able to tell recruits, especially because Texas will become a very fertile recruiting ground, yeah. and, and BYU does it now, but it's going to become even more important. You want to be able to say that you're going to guarantee games in the state of Texas every year. Well, so I, guess, I, I guess you would if even if they were in the other division where you play three of them and you're probably playing. You know, I I, I, see I, I want I don't want to have the entire state of Texas all be together. I would like to have it split up so that you have some in the east, some in the west. That way, everybody gets the opportunity to guarantee games in the state of Texas. I don't now, think you understand how Texans think and feel. Oh, I'm they mo- stick together. I, I'm aware of how they <laughs> stick together. It's why BYU isn't in uh, the Big 12 already. Originally, yes. Uh, so that, that's, why, that's why I would like to go east-west mm-hmm. more than a north and south. Yeah. But like, I asked Coach Pope yesterday during the basketball media day because he had brought it up. Yeah. And I said, so do you have a preference, north or south? He's like, I don't – I just, I'm just glad we're in a division. That's all I care yes. about, and I feel the same way. Which is interesting because, and, and there's been some conversation about this, many men's basketball power conferences don't split into divisions for men's basketball. It's just one big thing. As it pertains to scheduling, certainly you have to figure out who's playing who and why this year because you can't play everybody. We'll break that down in a second. But, yeah, I'm with you. What if I told you that the West was with all the Texas teams? Would that be even then I'm more fine preferable? It. Then I'm fine with it. Because here's what <laughs> I want. If it benefits BYU, yes. then I'm fine with it. Of course. What, what's the, there's BYU a million times in this set. Okay, the divisions. West, this is what I would prefer. BYU with the four te- – I'm talking post-Oklahoma-Texas leaving. Which, by the way, I don't – they'll probably split them up so they don't have to reshuffle the deck is one report from this article. BYU with the four Texas teams. Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Houston – and then throw Oklahoma State in there. That, that would be – so you have two of the four new. You split the two, two new in each division, four tech schools, BYU with Oklahoma State. That would be awesome, right? The other division could be East, UCF, West Virginia, Cincy, Iowa State, and then you keep Kansas State and Kansas together. So you have two new. You split those up. You keep Kansas, Kansas State together. That, that would be my preference. Um, I could see the one where they, with you they go two Texas, two – uh, you know, in each division, the two newbies, and then you have to figure out what to do with the uh, the other four there. You keep Kansas, Kansas State together, 
And then, then uh, see, I think if, I think if you're going to split up to Texas, and I think this was an early, early one we saw. I think it makes a whole lot of sense that two of the Texas teams that would come with BYU in an East-West situation would be TCU and Texas Tech. Sure, that makes that makes sense to me. The mo- two most Western. Exactly. Texas teams. Yes, and again, I understand that the the. the, the that geography just isn't what it used to be in terms of oh well you can't have that that doesn't make sense geographically. Right. If we had if we we're rolling out in handcarts maybe no. <laughs> yes. But we do have airplanes which is pretty cool. Well and the, and the cool thing about this is Dennis mentioned in the piece that these talks began about a month ago. I think uh, everybody from all the schools got together in Vegas. In Vegas. And then and Tom was like here let me show you around. <laughs> he's like I trust me I know this city. Um, it says this could all be finalized by May which is really quick. Yeah, two other quick notes. Uh, they're talking about nine football conference games, probably a six in your division, three split, I would imagine. Then men's basketball, still 18 games. 18 is pretty standard. That wraps up the best of BYU Sports Nation this week. Tune in next Saturday for the Cougar news you need to hear and catch the BYU Sports Nation simulcast every day at noon Eastern, 9 Pacific on BYU TV and BYU Radio. BYU.